Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. spent the better part of this month talking about wisdom. We've breached the subject about choosing wisdom, and we've talked about various aspects of that. We began by talking about the worth of wisdom, the value of wisdom and the, and the recognizing of where that wisdom comes from, the source, Jesus himself as the provider we spent some time talking about the works of wisdom, the necessity of putting God's word and his work and his wisdom to work and the tangible results that are inevitable to follow. And last week we talked about the waiting and that wisdom waits and that trusting in the timing of God and patiently waiting for his plan to unfold is the only way that we'll make it through. And so this week, we're going to kind of wrap everything in a bundle. We're going to tie everything up. We're going to tie into the worth of wisdom. We're going to tie into the works of wisdom. And we're going to tie into the waiting for wisdom. And we're going to talk from the subject of wisdom's warning. Wisdom's warning. God sees and knows everything. There's nothing that goes on that he is not aware of. And so... For that fact, he can and will judge everything perfectly. And so with that knowledge, I've got to fear the Lord and keep his commandments. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we'll read, verses, or we'll read verse 14, and we'll read the uh, last verse or close to the last verse of the last chapter of the writing of Solomon. Ecclesiastes 12 and 14 says, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. God shall bring every work, every judgment, everything that's secret, whether it be good or whether it be evil, into that perfect judgment. I believe that certainly one of the most I would say the most things that is lost on our society today is the fear of God. I really believe that, that there's an absence of fear, the fear of God and the fear of his word. And I'm not talking about trepidatious fear. I'm not talking about fearing as one would describe fear. But the word fear really means reverence or acknowledgement. You see, the Word of God says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And so in the absence of that in our world today, there's no wonder that there are a myriad of people 
There are a myriad of organizations, whole, whole societies that are making horrible and uneducated and unwise decisions on a daily basis. Our world is quite inundated with wrong thinking and mismanagement, and our society is in rapt attention to the wrong things. And it all began when men lost the fear of God. As mankind began to assert and to determine, uh, so to speak, his own humanistic knowledge or ability to, to map out his own destiny, so to speak, the vehicle of life and lifestyle began to take a drastic detour. And that detour, ever so gradual and intermittent, has brought us to a really and truly catastrophic end. The result, the arrival is where we are today, our society, and what we, are, what we are seeing on a daily basis. And so I say to that, if there were ever a time that we, as the people of God, need the wisdom of God, it is this day, and I would say that it has far passed us, that we are past the day, that we need more than ever godly wisdom in our lives. We need godly wisdom in our responses we need godly wisdom in our reactions. We need God's wisdom in our engagements and in our involvements. Hear me now. We are in a dispensational era that, that once was innuendo, once was cryptic speech and language that was sort of kind of hidden, that was behind the scenes, is now out in front. It's in, in the center of everything that you see. It's no longer innuendo. It's no longer cryptic. It's no longer just sort of tongue-in-cheek, but with a militant arm, our society is being forced to swallow something that is inadvertently, inadvertently or, or vertently against the Word of God and is out of line with His precepts and with his plan, and it is a militant arm that is attempting to make us to conform to its way of thinking, and so to navigate that, that ever-treacherous landscape that is upon us and that awaits us in the coming days, we need the warning of wisdom, we need the warning of the word of God to awaken us all over again. We need wisdom. We need God's eternal word to waken us to the things that are happening in our world today more than anything ever in the world that we've ever experienced. We need his wisdom to teach us again that he is the way, that he is the truth, and he is the life. We once knew that, we once heard that, we once believed, but I want to believe it all over again today. I want his word to be spoken to me again today, to know, to understand that he is the only way. I'm reaching towards a very broad audience today, whether you've served him for 50 years or for 50 minutes, whether you've been with him for decades or for days, we need the truth of the word of God to be established and reestablished all over again to bring us into a meaningful relationship with the Lord so that we can be led by his spirit and by his wisdom. And that time is now. The time is now. I want to say it again. Now. 
not to be confused with convenient. You see, when we think about now, we think about Amazon. We think about pizza delivery. We think about now. We think about, I'm always going to that. I understand that. But we think about convenience now. Now is not always convenient. You see, that's what we desire. We desire convenience. It's evident. We live in one of the most convenient times that mankind has ever known. Allow me to explain. We're surrounded by space-saving, time-saving, and convenience-making devices, products, and programs. We have access to more people at greater distances than we ever have, yet we struggle to connect. We possess devices like dishwashers, robot vacuum cleaners. You don't have one of those? They make them automatic sprinkler systems, voice-activated search engines, and an information superhighway that travels at breakneck speeds, yet we are the most ill-informed and pressed for time than we ever have been. Think about it. All of these things are designed to save us time. They're all designed to save us of the inconvenient and to cause us a time of convenience that we are the more pressed for time than we ever have been. Now, what I'm about to say is not meant to be disparaging or confrontational. It's just the truth, and I'll say we, I'll include myself and society as a whole. But we can veg out on nonsense, consume tailor-made, sinister, curated content, yet we cannot find the time to spend with our own families and even worse, the Lord himself in his word and in his presence. Our modern day conveniences to save us from the inconvenience of the unimportant has robbed us of the value of slowing down and spending quality time with the most important of all. And so in our effort to find time convenient to do what is important, Time itself is careening forward, stripping us away of the opportunity of right now. It's not always convenient, but it's here. It's now. It's today. It's this moment. It's right now. And right now, our minds are trying to go off into different directions. We're thinking about what's going to happen this afternoon and tomorrow and next week. And while time is stripping us away of now, we're trying trying to live in tomorrow but God has given us a gift and it's right now it's right here it's in this place it's his spirit and it's here now right now right now it's here Solomon said Ecclesiastes 12 and 1 remember now thy creator remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. We simply cannot be, in, we cannot be ignorant to the fact that time will eventually slow walk us down. I've been reminded of that recently. I don't know how, but I hurt myself. I don't know when, but I hurt myself. And so I went to a doctor, and not politely, but very accusative. He asked me a series of questions of what could cause this. What is it this? Is, are you this? Are you that? No. Well, the answer is, well, you're just getting old. Thanks. Thanks, doc. 
there's no answer to any of the questions. So the next profound statement is, well, this is just part of age. I'm not 21 anymore. But what he did say next was profound. He said, you're getting old. And this is the result of getting old. But you're young enough now that you can turn this around. You're young enough today if you want it now. You can start now. And you can be healthier in your next days than you were in your last days. If you start now, it just depends on how bad you want it. How bad do you want it? Do you want to just keep on going like you're going and continue to hurt and have pain and struggles? Or do you want to take advantage of now where you've got an opportunity to turn this thing around and get better with, with your age? That's what, that's what the preacher's saying. That's what he's saying in Ecclesiastes. He's saying that there's coming a day. There's coming a day that your age will naturally, in the natural, take away both the strength and possibly even the desire from you and assuredly, eventually, it will take away the opportunity. Solomon is talking about the finality of death and the appointment that we will all inevitably attend. But he is not attempting us to have us fear this day with some, some, some ignorant trepidation as we walk into it. As ignorantly as society or people or unsaved would, would sort of fear this day. But he's attempting to just alert us to the possibility possibility of now there's coming a day it's inevitable the Bible says that it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment but if you woke up this morning and you've got breath in your lungs and you've got a voice that'll come out you've got now you can lift your hands now you can lift your voice now and you can cry out to God now you can remember now He's at the proverbial end of his life and he's looking back over the years of lost opportunity and he's saying and he's proclaiming, remember now. Don't remember when it's too late. Remember now. Don't remember when you can't do anything about it. Remember now. Remember now that you are not your own. Remember now that you're bought with a price. Remember now who you are and remember Remember now what purpose you have to fulfill. Remember now and serve God now and do it with your best. Serve him today with your best days and don't wait and try to serve him with what's left. Give him your all now. And so from a platform of experience, he's pontificating. Don't wait to serve him with the balance of what you have left when you spent elsewhere because we never have the promise of tomorrow. We only have now. Not only is Solomon pointing towards that natural progression, that natural aging of a human being in the process of life, but Solomon is pointing to a very important, eternal thing. Ecclesiastes 12 and 5, he refers to it as the long home. The long home. This world is not my home. 
this world has never meant to be my home. I'm just passing through. In fact, that statement, that phrase, this world is not my home, really and truly applies to every human being on this planet because eternity is inevitable and mankind will spend it somewhere. And so it's back to fear. But it's not what you think. You see, we need a healthy fear. We need a healthy fear of that fact in our world today more than we ever have. And if anybody is going to inject that type of reverence and fear, it is the church. To lift up your voice and to proclaim boldly that there is coming a day and that this generation is closer than it ever has been to the catching away of the church. We're closer today than we were yesterday. And if God will tarry, we'll be closer tomorrow than we were today. And so we are ever so inching closer and closer to that day. And so by that implication, that places mankind closer to the day of judgment than he ever has been. If the if the church, I don't want to argue about pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib, but if the church is caught away today, even if it wasn't, if somebody were to close their eyes tonight and not wake up in the morning, the next thing they're going to experience is the judgment. And so in a moment, in a moment, you're going from this world to that world where you'll stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That ought to arrest us. That ought to wake us up. That ought to get our eyes as wide as they will go to know that the next step could be the judgment. It's something that we don't like to talk about. We don't like to talk about judgment. We want to talk about the love of God. And he is love. He is love. He's mercy. But he is also a God of judgment. And he will not go back on his word. He will not go back on his word. Perhaps you've heard someone say before, only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. It was popularized back maybe in the 80s or 90s by certain singers, rappers. Only God can judge me. It was has a premise that's based in Scripture. See, that's how the devil likes to do that. He likes to twist things up. It's used by those who are otherwise knowingly engaged in activities that are inherently counterintuitive to Christian living. They know that. Only God can judge me. They feel like society perhaps may judge them wrongly for what they believe or what they are partaking in. But the truth of the matter is this. Not only can God judge you, but God will. He will judge you. And he will judge you according to his word. He will judge you righteously. He won't misjudge you. He won't mischaracterize you. He knows everything. The end from the beginning and all points in between. And so not only can he, but he will and he will do it righteously. James 4 and 12 says there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. And so knowing that ought to put the fear of God in us. It ought to arrest us. Knowing that should thrust us into a desire to be pleasing to him because wisdom 
is looking past today. It's looking past the present, not living in it, but knowing that what I do today will inevitably affect my future. We will face the righteousness of God, and we will be judged by his righteousness. Wisdom is understanding that I'm not just living for today, but I'm living for eternity. And what I do today will undoubtedly affect my eternity. Absolutely nothing. Not one thing. Not one moment, one jot, or one tittle can be hidden from the Lord. In principle, this is what Jesus had to say on the subject, Matthew 12 and 36. He said, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Luke 8 and 17, for nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be made known and come abroad. Therefore, he said in Luke 12, Whosoever, whatsoever ye, sh ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear of in closet shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. That, my brothers and sisters, is no small matter. It matters what we say. It matters what we do. And that fact is not something that we can afford to overlook. And so not one of us here today can say without doubt that we have not at one time or another found ourselves guilty of that very thing. Idle words, uttered things that were considered something that simply should not have been said or repeated. Hidden indiscretions, misrepresented truths, words spoken, deeds committed, all done wrongfully. But the danger in that is realizing that those things are unaligned or out of line and out of sync with the Word of God and His principles and allowing them to remain unrepented of. And then somehow thinking that the reoccurrence over and over again or whatever it is that's going on would go unnoticed by God. It's the fear of the Lord. That's the absence there's no fear of God. There's no fear of repercussion. There's no, re there's no fear of, of outcome. And so therefore, everything that is done is done over and over and over. And here we are. Here we are. You see, the truth is we're never alone. Even when we're alone, we're never alone. And nothing goes unknown by the Lord, and I'll go one step further than that. If you've been filled with His Spirit today, you are ever so never alone because His Spirit lives within you. And so, therefore, I must allow His Spirit, His Word, to check me, to examine me, to reprove me and rebuke me at times and lead me into all truth and all righteousness. I'm talking about the fear of the Lord and the fear and warnings, wisdom. In other words, we have to allow God's word, his, 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 his precepts to, to, to lead us and to guide us. And our fear of that will align us with his word. Not 
trepidatious. I said it before. Not overwhelming fright. Not some sort of just just complete and utter terror that God is going to strike us dead with one false move, but a fear, a perfect reverence, a, 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 an acknowledgement, a, a healthy and a loving respect for Him and for His words. If I will fear Him, if I will respect His word and His precepts, that means my words will be measured. My words will be weighty and without contempt. My attitude will be right. My, my motives will be pure and they will be in line with his way and with his word because I fear his word. I, I, I respect his word. I respect what he said and I will do what he said. I, I've come too far right now. I've come too far to turn back. I've come too far to give up. I've come too far to just throw it out the window and say it doesn't matter. It, 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 it can just go however it goes. I can live however I live and everything would be alright. No, 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 no. God has been too good to me. God has done so much for me. God has been there for me when nobody else would be there for me. God has brought me out of darkness and into his marvelous light and he has loved me with a perfect love when no one else would or even could love me and so my mind is made up my heart is set my face is set like a flint that I am going to do his will and carry out his mandates it is my reasonable service it's my reasonable service there's too many people wanting extra credit there's too many people wanting to Wanting a cookie. Well, I'm here today. So am I. It's our reasonable service. Now, the world don't like that. There's too much, there's too much relationship in that. There's too much commitment to that. The world doesn't like that. But God said to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. It's your reasonable Service. That's the plumb line. It's my reasonable service. And it is my highest priority. I'm going to say some controversial things here for just a moment. We got 15 minutes. It's my reasonable service. And it is my highest priority. To serve God. My highest obligation is not to my job, although it is very important. My highest obligation is not to my family, although I love them from the bottom of my heart. They are important to me. My highest priority. Hear me now and hear it in the spirit that I say it in. But my highest priority is not to my church and my church family. Although you are important to me. This place is important to me. I love this with all of my heart. But my highest priority is to him and him alone. My highest priority is to him and him alone. Alone. 
I submit to you today, I submit to you today that many of the struggles that we incur in our lives are really and truly just a result of misaligned priorities. God is not selfish, but he is jealous. He is not a selfish God, but he is a jealous God. He wants your time. He wants your efforts because he wants your success in the kingdom. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. All these things will just be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will just come in to priority and into line. This is what Jesus is saying. You better get your priorities straight. You are to, you, be, you better get it in line. And you better get it in line with me. If you get that right first, and if all of that comes into priority in line with my word, everything else will just mainly fall into place. Now, I'm not talking to you because I read a pamphlet on this. I'm talking to you from this experience. I'm not going to go into detail, but I've proved him. I've proved him on that. And he showed me that his word is true. If you'll put him first, everything else will just be given to you. Whatever you need, you might not drive a Rolls Royce. You might not live in the biggest house on the block. You might not have the biggest job. You might not have the best position. But God will supply your need according to his riches in glory. Yes, he will. Oh, yes, he will. Every meaningful thing, every obligation will be fulfilled. Everything will be in place if we put him in his proper place. You see, it isn't always sin that gets us off track. The writer of Hebrews referenced the word waits. You know what that word means? It means whatever's prominent. A protuberance, something that's sticking out farther than the rest. Things that are taking up space that are crowding everything else out. You see, we live in a fallen world, and we live amongst all sorts of obstacles. And there will always be an ever-present conflict in this life to keep us from the priority and the obligation that we have to God. Not only can life just produce struggles and hardships and mishaps, but we fight against success in this world as well. We will fight against success. The devil will give you blessings every once in a while and just try to disguise them as God's blessing. They can be problematic just as much as the sin that enters our life. But just allow me for a moment to explain it in our own vernacular. I didn't look this up sociologically. I didn't look up statistics. This is just from my own head so you can take it with a grain of salt. But I'm here to tell you that it would be better to make $50,000 a year spending quality time with God and with your family than to make $150,000 a year and never see either one of them. It would be better to have one job and no side hustles and have a little than to be spread so thin trying to have a lot that the things that matter most suffer in whatever energy you have left at the end of the month. I'm not at all advocating laziness. In fact, the word of God says that if a man doesn't work, he ought not to eat. But I'm here to tell you right now that that work ought not to get in front of the obligation that we have to God. 
Because fearing God, much of it is trusting God. Trust Him with your time. Trust Him with your money. Trust Him with your sustenance. Trust Him with your life. You see, if I reverence Him and if I fear Him, then I can trust Him. And when I trust Him, then I can trust what He says. I can trust His Word. Fearing God is keeping His Word and trusting that what He said is true. That diligently seeking Him and knowing that He is the rewarder of those that do that. And when we trust Him more, we can apply more and when we apply more then we will see more because God will not go back on his word and then when we see more we see that keeping his commandments is not an act in futility it's not just a set of do's and don'ts it's not just a list of checks and tick marks that somehow create a feeling of accomplishment in our lives as if we have accomplished tasks in in a day but keeping his commandments is a loving relationship that fosters understanding and deep gratitude for who he is and what he has done which leads to more and more and more of the same prove him and you'll find that he is faithful put him to the test he said it put me to the test I'll show you I'll show you you see that kind of relationship is what takes us into a lifetime of committed communion and leads to an eternal reward. And so I'm closing, but it's a long runway. Of all the disseminating wisdom that Solomon wrote in his writings, Solomon ends his instruction with the most important of all. You see, it's the crux. It's the hinge point for the entire ideal of wisdom and possessing it. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. With the sobering severity of a conclusive moment, bringing everything that we have ever said, ever done, ever thought into the righteous judgment of God that will in turn determine our eternal reward or demise hear me now we must seek God's wisdom with everything that is within us not just on Sundays and not just on Wednesdays but as soon as I feel that life is still in my body, as that, that sun has not risen as of yet, and I awaken from my sleep in that moment, I must begin to seek God's wisdom for my life. In this world, there are two opposing 
forces. How be it unequal, yet opposing nonetheless, and neither of them are playing games. God is not toying with us. He has not stretched some carrot over a string that we are trying desperately to make that we will never attain. His word is forever settled and it is forever true no matter which way this world might go. No matter how much they try to twist his word, his word is forever settled in heaven. I feel like saying that again this morning. There is an attack on the word of God. There are men and women that are trying to steal the minds of children, that are trying to take them into an opposite direction of what this word says, and they are attempting to use this word to do it. We must have the wisdom of God in this hour. He's not toying with us, and the devil sure isn't playing games. We need the wisdom of God. And so if you'll stand with me this morning, I'll end. We need it. The question is, how do we get it? Well, we've spent the last 39 some odd minutes talking about it. David, the psalmist, said it like this in Psalms 111 and 10. I mentioned it before. The fear of the Lord... It's the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. So it's very simple. I don't come with some deep theological thought this morning, but a very simple message. How do we get it? We get it from here. How do we get it? We get our nose in the book. How do we keep it? We do what it says. We do His commandments. It's simple. It begins with fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I reverence this. I believe this. And so therefore, I'm going to put my trust in it. I'm going to live by its precepts and by its mandates. And I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and allow His Spirit to take me the rest of the way. And it all begins with fear. And so I say this morning very simply, fear God. Fear Him. Acknowledge Him. Reverence Him. Seek Him. Worship Him and serve Him. And here's what He's promised to do. If you will do that, He will acknowledge you. He will make a covenant with you. He will mold you and make you and keep you. And He will lead you into paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And He will make a way where there seems to be no way and he will never leave you and he will never forsake you and he will be with you even until the ends of the world 
Amen. And it starts right now. It starts right now. Whether you've been doing this for decades or just a few moments, whether you've been here for years or if this is your first time in this place, the time is now. It starts with your hands lifted. It starts with your voice activated, saying to God, I need you. I fear you. I want you. I need you. I will do. I will carry. I will. I will. I will. And you know what he said? If you will, then I will. If you will, my promise is to you. It's to your children. It is to all that are afar off, as many as I will call. And it starts right now. And so right now, why don't you lift your hands to heaven? Right now, why don't you lift your voice and cry out to God with everything you have in you and give him all of your praise. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We praise your name. We magnify you, Lord. We extol thee, O God. We lift your name on high. We give you the highest praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the lamb that was slain. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, for another moment, why don't you just cry out. Just another moment, give him praise and glory. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.